Hey, 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 Closet Busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Okay, there's lots of talk, life uncloseted, and 40-plus gay men, gay talk families about sex and love and relationships and monogamy and non-monogamy and open relationships and polyamory. And you're like, there is lots of talk. Well, if not, you're going to get lots of talk about it today because it is something that is, I feel more prevalent than ever. People are, there's a consciousness around all of this. That's the way I like to look at it, of waking up to our truths and seeing what it really means for us. And you all have heard me talk about being in an open relationship. I'm not going to say it's easy. Never, I never did, never will, but there's easy ways to make it work too. And part of it is talking about it. And today that's where we're going. And I know we've done some shows on this, but when I found today's guest, I was like, oh, this will be juicy, juicy, good stuff for the new year. In fact, this will be airing for 40 plus gay men right after Valentine's Day. So maybe some stuff will come up and you'll be like, yeah, I think I, this really is speaking to me. Our guest name is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. She is a relationship coach. She has a podcast herself about this sort of stuff. She's a best-selling author. She's part of the ASEC community, which, hey, if you're going to have anybody talk about sex, ASEC is the place to go to find people who know what they're talking about. She's been featured in the New York Times, Vogue, on NPR. Her podcast is Playing With Fire. What a great way to talk about this scary little shit we call sex and relationships. And oh my gosh. It is truly playing with fire. Jolie, I'm so excited to have you here. I think my listeners can probably hear it in my voice because I love talking about this stuff. It's just, it's juicy. That's it. It is juicy and it's yummy and it's scary. And we, yes. lo- we humans, we love to dangle ourselves into those scary waters and, but also know we're safe. Like we want both. That's why we like roller coasters. But I so, also yeah. feel like the juiciness, <laughs> the yumminess and the scariness of all of that if we weren't experiencing this, folks, we wouldn't be growing. And I'm not talking about erections or anything like that, but we wouldn't be growing because this is where we step into like our truth and everything should be towards being more authentically who we are. So for me personally, Jolie, this started many, many years ago. Um, and my listeners know when I was married to my wife, I was never faithful. Now, I'm not going to say here's the caveat to that. But I was trying to come out of the closet. I was trying to say, okay, but I'm a gay guy. This is, you know, not making excuses. Yes, I know there's going to be darts thrown at me because of what I just said. There's going to be a, at least one hate mail that will come to me because of that probably. But it's not easy when your truth is sitting there bur- just kind of under the surface. Like, But it needs to be released. And it's painful. I'm sure in your work you have found those two things I just said. It's like it's there. It's exciting, but it's painful. So let's kind of dive into what happens when you know you're playing with fire. Well, it is one of the most common emails, phone calls that I get is I, I'm pretty sure I want to be open. I'm pretty sure this is part of my essential being. Like I am starting to recognize like this has always been me. 
how do I, what do I do? How do I, how do I make sure my partner doesn't feel X, Y, Z? How do I make sure they don't feel like I'm not choosing them? How do I make sure they feel safe? How do I make sure that they're not mad at me? How do I, and the truth is we can't, we can't control their reaction. But when you decide to come out of the closet about your non-monogamous nature, um, your non-monogamous inclinations, you are inviting your partner into deeper intimacy with you. Now, the question is, can you, have you built a culture in your relationship that encourages that, that encourages mm -hmm. transparency as a mode of intimacy? And if you haven't, what can you do today, tonight, the moment you stop listening to this podcast to begin creating that culture of, yes, let's be transparent, let's be real. How can we open up space for where they are and who they are too? Because then this goes from being terrifying to being, ooh, what an exciting adventure we could go mm -hmm. on. But don't you believe, and I love that example of like the, the email that you get, but don't you believe that anybody who's been in a longer relationship, whether they're married or not, I don't, I don't really care about that. You hit, you hit these spaces where it just becomes the routine. And then you just kind of phoning it in, so to speak. And then you're really surprised that suddenly a partner says, hey, I had talked to you about something. Sometimes it's about an affair. Other times it's like, I just don't feel like we gel. Other times it's like, I really love you. I really care about you. But I also want to experience X. And then we're suddenly like shocked. Yeah. It, we shouldn't be so shocked. I mean, okay, yes, I came out of the closet to a very wonderful woman who I'd been married to for 13 years. That was shocking. Yeah, you, you, to find out your husband's gay. But there were moments, Jolie, that even through that whole experience and years after that she kind of came to her own truth, like there was always some wondering and questioning and, you know, all of that. So when that sort of stuff shows up, how do you navigate the, oh, it's such a shock versus there were signs, there were things well, that were present. Well, what if there, so I could imagine this going two ways. One, yeah, we could look and say there were signs, sure. And is that, does that mean it's my responsibility to, to make sure that my partner's out about everything? I could make an argument that it's not, but what if there, what if there aren't signs for a long time because the person has no idea? What if they've never mm -hmm. known, they've never heard of non-monogamy? Now we do have burgeoning consciousness about non-monogamy and it's in our, our cultural context is changing. It's much more visible, but to me, it's not about whether we should or shouldn't be shocked. It's mm -hmm. about can I receive information that my partner is growing and changing? Because we're always ideally growing and changing. But a lot of us, unfortunately, made the conflation of security with sameness. These are not, mm. these are not interchangeable, right? Security should be about, can I be engaged in an ongoing conversation? Can I be deepening my intimacy with others? Can my, can I trust my partner to continually show me who they are? And a lot of us didn't build that kind of security. Instead, we accidentally built stoicism and mm. um, a certain, we'll stay the same. We'll keep this, this um, boat from rocking. And then, yeah, we might feel shocked. I wish that we didn't, but we feel shocked because we replaced real security with this like really stoic. We just won't talk about this. We won't know mm. about it. We'll pretend like this is all we'll ever be, but we're, Ideally, we're all growing and changing. But that's the thing that we don't accept. I mean, so here's a really simple version of that. My husband and I are um, 
big, I would consider ourselves big wine drinkers. We love, that's just one of our passions. I've noticed I'm not as into wine as much as I used to be. And there's been conversations about that because we, we there's been times we've had like six different wine memberships and, you know, we live in wine country. So, you know, going and doing that's kind of our part of our DNA. But now I'm not as prone that way. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I have to like be prone that way forever. And so this right. is a simple explanation of we've had conversations about I'm not as into it. Maybe we should not have as many wine memberships. What if we had fewer, but we use the money that we're spending on memberships to explore other wineries, but that doesn't mean we have to join. It's a, it's a, I don't want to use the word manipulation, but it's a changing of how it's done. Which I hear is you not reimagining. Yeah. yeah. We're completely reimagining. It's like the most intimate thing. Let's just go there. Sex. Sure. Okay. Hey, maybe when you're younger, you enjoy certain things, but then there's other things that you start to enjoy more. I mean, I'm a right. gay guy that everybody would assume that as a gay man, oh, he just wants to like pound, 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 you know, because that's what society says gay men do, right? At this stage sure. of my life, I don't mind a, a good roll in the hay and a nice topping some guy, but there's other things I enjoy just as much. Right. And that could be true at any age, any Absolutely. stage, right? Like we we forget to embrace sexual diversity. And when mm -hmm. we forget that when we're young, it will only get worse. But a lot of us, we just imagine that there is a script. I don't care what identities we carry. We imagine that there is a pretty narrow script mm -hmm. for what we can fit into. And so a lot of people find themselves in the monogamous script because it was the only one presented to them. Maybe they saw something or heard some whispering somewhere. You know, I remember even as a child, like hearing like what a key party was. My God, it, mm. it was the 80s. And I can remember like hearing stories about that. And yet, like it never occurred to me that non-monogamy, conscious negotiated non-monogamy was a real thing until all of a sudden it did. And when you experience that awareness, you can't not know it anymore. So now the question becomes, can I actively engage in an ongoing transformation of self? And can mm. I fully embrace that of my partners as well? And it always begs the question to me, uh, when I'm working with somebody in this space, because I work with the two in different ways, like, why wouldn't you want to embrace that? It's going to bring you, you said it earlier, it's going to bring you another level of intimacy. If you're willing to step into these conversations and be there with your partner, it's a much more intimate space than I can't talk about this. We're done. Right. There just went the intimacy. There just went the ability to be anything. And, and I'm not going to knock anybody who says, I can't do this. Okay. That's, that's your truth. That's how you go do this. But you also kind of cut yourself off from like, Okay, well, maybe we let's explore if this really could work or couldn't work. And right. the beauty is if it can't work, guess what? You actually have done each other a favor because now there's permission granted to go find whatever it is that's actually going to in, fulfill you, make you happy, feed your inner self. And a mm -hmm. lot of times when I'm working with gay men that are like, I don't know if I can do this non-monogamous thing, I invite them to have a really, really poignant conversation with themselves. Why not? And what if you did? And how does that look? Because if you can do those three things as a starting point, and of course, I go a whole lot further than that, but like, why not? What if you did? And how would it look for you? They suddenly kind of stop and like, well, I don't want to think about that. I can't tell you how many guys is that I want to think about that. 
okay, well then that means you're closing yourself off from at least potentially going what could happen. Right. I, I had a client come into my program recently and she was very resistant, right? So, um, their, their relationship was built on a certain premise of monogamy. And she was very resistant to the idea of non-monogamy. Um, and then when she got into a, a conversation with me, she'd been really struggling to receive her partner's interest in this, like just struggling, but mm. wanted to. So when we got into a conversation and we talked for a while and unpacked some stuff, she had the realization that I think is, is right at the core of how this can work. She said, well, um, I know that, and my programs are a whole year long. That's how long we explore this. Um, I said, yep. she said, if I get into that, then, and I give this a year, well, I can either be without my partner now, or I can explore this carefully. I can explore it thoughtfully and know for sure that I did everything I could to understand who my beloved is becoming. Who are mm. they becoming and who am, who am I put in this particular situation? But that meant that she had to set down her self-righteousness. She had to set down the, high, the moral high ground of I'm right. You're changing the rules. You you're, this isn't fair. And that's hard. It's hard oh, it's to set that down, hard. right? It's hard to set down the defensiveness of, but we made a promise. And mm -hmm. that's where I'm often asking people, I, I recognize, yes, we do make promises and we change as well as we gain new information. And um, we don't actually usually know what we what all the possibilities are, especially when we make these promises, we usually are choosing from a very limited menu, that very mm -hmm. limited menu. And then we don't even talk about it. So we don't actively negotiate our monogamy. And so now, then monogamy starts to like, okay, so we're monogamous. What does that mean? Because a lot of people <laughs> who I work with, are they non-monogamous or monogamous? Okay, well, let's talk about their actual relationship. Some of them are monogamous, but by description, I would say, oh no, you are definitely non-monogamous by most people's descriptions. But they've decided to allow certain behaviors. I call that creative monogamy. And mm -hmm. that's fine. But what about if you do want to explore? What does it mean to explore? When we say explore, a lot of people jump right to, okay, so we're going to get in grinder and we're just like going for it. Like right. what's exactly. happening? And that is not what I recommend either. Because if we jump right to dating, we actually miss that invitation to intimacy that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. The invitation comes in the conversations. It comes in renegotiating what we actually have now, making sure the foundations are what we want them to be. And that doesn't matter to me whether you have a six-month-old relationship or a 16-year relationship. We want to check in on like, what are my relational tools? Like, do I know how to do repair? Do I understand how to negotiate? Do I understand how to make an actual agreement? Most of us don't because monogamy rates checks, it can't cash. It just says here, we'll just have this one rule. Right. It's not enough. And, it, and because that's the way it's been done, this is all we are conditioned to be in society. Yet, this is not what we're doing, though. <laughs> no, but this has been going on for thousands of years. People don't yeah. seem to embrace that. You know, this is part of who we are as a human being. Doesn't mean everybody is. And again, if you don't want to have an open relationship, nobody's saying you have to. If you don't want to be in a polyamorous relationship, nobody says you have to. Right. What I'm inviting people to do is think about if this is something that will work for you, it is worth exploring. And I love, you know, what you were talking about with that client, like, okay, this is a year of me exploring with my beloved where we could go. 
which right. is different than, oh my gosh, what if? Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we yeah. can get stuck in what ifs really quickly. The right. beauty and is- And then we always go to our biggest fears. We don't course. go to what We don't go to what if, oh, what if this is amazing? What if, right. wow, what if- yeah, we tend to go to our biggest fears. So, but that's because that's how we're conditioned as human beings is let's go to the fears, let's go to the fears, let's go to everything that can go wrong. It's kind of like when I ask a client, okay, let's let's play a little game. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but it will be a, a good it will be a good reference to what we're talking about. Let's play a little game about, you know, you and your confidence in yourself. So, what do you not like about yourself? Boom, off to the races. They can start like immediately. I'll let them go. Let them go. I'm like, anything else? Anything else? Anything else? Of course, at some point, I'm like, okay, this is gonna take the whole session, so we're done. Let's let's now let Hang me ask off. the second question. <laughs> what do you like about yourself? Dead silence, and it takes a lot to get them going. It's because we are so conditioned to be in the negative. Well, we're biased too. I mean, this is actually beyond conditioning. So a lot. I know it's it's. We definitely have social conditioning here, but we are also biased by our biology. Our mm -hmm. our ancestors were the ones who survived. They looked for danger. And that's not just saber-toothed tiger danger. They also looked for emotional danger, relational danger. I study jealousy. Like that is my academic area of interest is jealousy. So when I interview people about jealousy, what are they talking about? They're talking about their fear. And, and we don't actually want to try to cure jealousy. I don't want people to get rid of jealousy because jealousy itself is a threat detection system. I want that intact. It's it's what I do with it. What happens when jealousy comes up? Do I turn toward my partner? Do I attend to my relationships? Do I navigate my needs and really get into that? Or do I just freak out, point to the other person and say, whatever you're doing is wrong. And I know that because I feel jealousy, but jealousy is hardwired. It shows up in babies as young as six months old. So we know it's connected to our basic, our primal needs. So yeah, we are, we're negatively biased and that's hard. And it is because we also have a prefrontal cortex. It's workable. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Okay. So let's talk about some of them. You brought, you just brought one of the biggies up. Jealousy. So, jealousy is one of the biggest things that's going to show up here. I've experienced it. Uh, and every once in a while, when the opportunities present itself, there's, there's just, it's going to show up. Right. You know, it's, it's going to show up when, when this happens and it could be, you could be in a, you could be having an experience with, you know, a menage a trois and you're like, okay, this sounds good. Let's all three, like, Hey, let's just have something interesting and, and some enjoyment. And then suddenly one partner or the other is getting more of the attention. Sure. Or sometimes the reason you're even in that is because one of the partners like, Hey, kind of, I hate to say it. Somebody it was, somebody hooked the bait. Cool. Yet the other one was like, okay, that sounds great. But the other person hasn't been able to make the connection. Yeah. And I'm not talking like a grinder hookup here. It's like, let's, I mean, those happen too, but it's like, if you're really like, Hey, the way we do this, which is a, a is a rule thing that people can put in is we both have to meet. We have to make sure there's some kind of a connection and people are good at playing like, yeah. Oh yeah. I want to do that too. I'm saying the other person that's coming in, but yet if only one person has made that initial connection, there's always going to be that piece. And that's a big thing of managing your own quote, jealousy, the stories you're going to create all this sort of stuff. And so this is one of the biggies, but what else is some of the big stuff that people who are like, I'm going to go down the non-monogamy 
sort of route, which can be non-monogamy doesn't always involve sex. It could be non-monogamy of intimacy as, you know, things that I like. I have friends that honestly, I feel like I'm closer than with my partner. Sure. Yeah. This isn't, when we think about non-monogamy, if we can back out a little bit and remember that swinging and polysexuality and like high, high sex related non-monogamy is just one form. It's just yep. one form and it's perfectly valid. And we have so many other forms and I don't care which labels you use for them. If you remember that humans are social creatures and we're designed to overlap with other people in different domains. I think about the domains of relationship, right? Who do I want to household with? Who do I want to have know my deepest, darkest secrets? Who do I want to go shopping with? Who do I want to raise children with? Like these might be the same person. They might be different people. The monogamous story as currently told and told over the last about 150 years, that's, that's all, not further than that. Was, is now telling us we have to have all of these things in one place. And that is across all orientations, right? Like yep. everybody's being told the same thing. You have to have all these things met by one person, which is a pretty ridiculously big lift for any one mm-hmm. human to make and is really isolating even to the couple. Even if you do find someone who you're like, yeah, this person really does. Yeah. And that's a lot to do with just one person. So as you said, well, it's a lot to do to hold that one person responsible for filling all those roles in your life. Right. And then for all of time. Right. So th- yes. add in the factor of time. Maybe this works great. And then three years later, you're like, oh, this doesn't work great. Maybe it works really well during a phase of your life or just a time. But if I am allowed to really explore relationship and we stop mm-hmm. worrying so much about what the rules are according to they right? Who who Mm -hmm. is this they, right? We stop worrying about that and allow ourselves to negotiate. The other big thing that comes up for me, yes, jealousy is huge and jealousy brings up the fear, but the bigger skill set issue is that we don't negotiate our relationships in an ongoing manner. At best, most people show up to their relationship and they, they start the dating experience and they date for some period of time, let's say between three weeks and 18 months. And over that period of time, they start establishing norms. A lot of them right in those first few weeks, they establish norms. And then those become the unspoken implicit agreements that just run the rest of their life. The next 60 years, boom, that I expect that. And I would encourage anyone, I don't care which kind of relationship structure you want to get into a practice of actively negotiating in an ongoing manner. And if you can do that, awesome. You're going to be able to grow and change. You're going to expect your partner to be bringing new aspects of themselves. And you're also going to have the ability to bring that. But most of us don't have any structure for it. And that's normal. We watched our parents just kind of fumble along doing the same thing. So what do we do? Well, I like actual structured agreement conversations. I like to get into the weeds about what is it that we're agreeing to in different domains of our life? You know, what do I want out of nesting with you? What do I want out of creating a financial future with you? What do I want out of a friendship with you? And negotiate these things and then set a date on the damn calendar and come back and negotiate it again. I actually have, I'm married to one of my partners and every three years we have a full out. Either one of us can walk away and say, yep, that, that we're not re-upping from here. And that sounds shocking to a lot of people, but I love the fact that it allows me to be present to the fact that we expect negotiation to happen in an iterative fashion. And it's incredibly soothing to know that 
it's not going to come as a surprise. My partner has no mm. reason to bring this to me as a surprise because we have these ongoing conversations that just invite us to have this negotiated relationship. And don't you feel that's what brings some of the healthiness into the relationship? For sure. And when I see people make this transition, so my clients are usually coming from a place of implicit assumption. When they start making things visible, first, it feels really awful. So there yep. is this really icky part where we're like, no, but we don't talk about that. We don't No, I just have these expectations and I just want to have these. I don't want to do this work. And as they shift out of that, we go, we pass through this murky time of trying to make all of the, the cruddy stuff visible. And we shine a light into every corner of the basement. We go up to the attic, we wipe out the cobwebs. And then we recognize that we have a healthy relationship house. Like now it actually mm -hmm. works. Now mm -hmm. I understand. And if there are some areas where like, oh, we don't fit, you know, desire mismatch is one of the biggest reasons people show up to the non-monogamy idea. There's some kind mm -hmm. of desire mismatch. Desire mismatch is normal. We're all going to experience it at some point. It would be absolutely bizarre if we all wanted the same things sexually at the same time forever. <laughs> that, that would be super strange. So desire mismatch might get exposed, but now mm -hmm. we've seen it. And now we have a chance to talk about how, how could we address this? Maybe we need to see a sex therapist. Sure. Absolutely. Maybe what we need is to reconsider what role sex plays in our life. Maybe we want to consider opening up. Maybe we want to consider going on a really fun cruise where we're not quite all the way open, but in this limited circumstance, we'll play openly. There's a million ways to negotiate around that, but we can't do it until we pass through that really tough spot where we're like, oh, let's look straight at the stuff we've been mm -hmm. just trying let, not let, to talk let, Let's look right. And, and again, I don't want to scare anybody off who's listening to this, but when we look straight at the relationship stuff, there's no getting around it. It's like, here it is. Right. Here it is. You know, and, and back, I love when you said, who is this they? It, there's always a they out there. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, that poor they, they, they carry the whole world on their shoulders, you know, you know, and it was interesting. A, a couple of examples of things that you've said. On this cruise that my husband were on, I were on not long ago was all gay cruise. And I can't tell you how many times over that cruise when this conversation piece came up, because it came up in different ways in different times. And we we're on a boat with people for 17 days. So lots of interesting conversations happen. They showed up so much. Well, you know, I had a friend and when they opened their relationship, they. this is what happened. Yep. And when <laughs> they, they, they when they decided to split up, da, 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 it's like, okay, well. I hate to say it, but there's a little mirror you're holding right now that actually when they show up, it's something you're feeling yourself. Again, I wasn't going to throw shade at anybody, but I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not, and I'm not putting myself above this because I, I get it. I totally get it. There's pieces of my stuff that I don't bring out in the open, at least not on this forum that I choose to be in, in my own relationship with. However, when you can openly talk about this stuff without you did this or they did that, or mm -hmm. here's what I'm feeling. I feel this and I want to share this with you so that here's where we are. Right. I have no idea if my husband's going to embrace that, but it's sure a hell of a lot easier. I mean, I, for 13 years, I was a, a, a serial cheater and I didn't like it. I was right. stressed. I was covering my tracks. I was looking over my shoulders. I was all this stuff. It's not comfortable. Mm. Yet, 
And I agree with you a hundred percent. And Jolie and I haven't had any conversation till today, folks. So there's so much I'm like, <laughs> no. yeah, girlfriend, I am just like checking boxes with stuff you're saying. This desire mismatch is one of the number one things that people have never talked about. Oh yeah. Do you enjoy sex? Yeah. I love sex. Really? Right. Okay, cool. What is it you enjoy? How frequently do you like it? Do you like watching porn? Do you not like watching porn? Do you like this, this, and this? And when I love it, when I've been with my amazing brothers in the gay community and they're like, well, I, I'm just only a bottom. Cool. At least you're saying that. Yeah. At least but you're are you living it. it. Are you living it? I want to make sure because the moment that you're not living it, not saying you can't change, then don't hold a partner like, okay, well, hey, one night you decide you didn't want a bottom, you wanted to top, and now your partner's like, oh, that was kind of interesting. But if you're not feeling it because you did it one night, you need to have that conversation like, yeah, I did it. And, you know, but if you get into the obligation space of, okay, I topped him one night and now he expects all that, but I'm not really feeling it, have the conversation. Right. It's a desire mismatch right there. And it's so, I know it's scary to have these conversations, but the cool thing. So I cold plunge a lot. Love. I love a good cold plunge. The hardest part of a cold plunge is the first 10 seconds, right? I just have to decide to go put my butt in that cold water. Having mm -hmm. these hard conversations is the same way. One of the keys that I hand people is write down the first two sentences, not the hi, how are you? Write down the first two sentences that you need to get out of your mouth in order to begin this conversation. What are the, what's the hardest thing that you have to say? Not the, not the scariest, but what's the thing that the opening that you're afraid to say, write it down, go say it, say it, speak it, actually have your voice say these things. Mm -hmm. It is a game changer to show up and be like, I'm going to speak the words. And if your partner isn't able to receive that, remember, you'll already have shifted the energy in your relationship just by saying, hey, I'm ready to show up to this discomfort because I know that this discomfort can bring us to a place where the waters are warm and the sun is shining and it's awesome. And we can't do it without braving through this little bit. And it can be a very little bit. When I say yes. scary conversation, it really is the, the first tiny bit is the hardest part. Well, and it's always going to be the hardest part because again, and I don't want to keep blaming mom and dad, so we're not going to go there, but kind of, sort of, society has created this construct of here's how we're supposed to do this. Yeah. And we've all kind of bought into it. I bought into it for a long time until I said, I can't buy into this any longer. I have to be my most truthful self. It started with me coming out of the closet. That was one of the biggest moments. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can do that, I can probably do this other piece too. But I was in a confused state, Jolie, because I'm like, well, okay, was I cheating? Because that was just my way to get through until I came out. And initially I'm like, yeah, that's what it was. But then when I realized, no, I, I love the intimacy of a relationship and being in it. But I also love the experimentation of being with somebody else. I'm more than willing. And, you know, there's people who listen to that. It's always like there was, you know, so there was a little pause when I say that because there's always like, okay, I'm living my truth here. I'd much rather be living my truth than hiding my pretendness. Yeah. In fact, one yeah. of the things I say, and people have heard me say this numerous times, but I think it's well worth repeating again. Every talk that I give, whether it's about sexuality or anything else, I always end with this quote, the truth of who you are is far more powerful than the false truth you are pretending to be. So show people who you are. 
Some people aren't going to like it and that's okay. Because guess what? If they don't like it, it's probably better to have them out of your world. Yeah. But when you can have those constant, not constant, but what kind of constant conversations where I'm showing you my truth. I'm showing you my truth. I'm showing you my truth. You're either going to move somebody out of your world that isn't meant to be there, or you're going to bring somebody more intimately into your world that you want to keep there. That to me is the power of these sort of conversations. Nothing short of magic, if you ask me. Well, it is magic. And it does take a special kind of person to really get this. And I'm not saying that everybody listening, yeah, go open your relationships. All that. But it's not about opening, that. No, <laughs> it's about maybe opening, opening yourself. Yes. Yeah. We should have, we, we didn't talk, folks. <laughs> we did not right pregame up. this. No, no, no. no. We you can go listen to my podcast. But, yes, I say this all the time. Yeah. Open yes, you. But, but you have to open yourself to this because here's the thing. Maybe the only thing you need to open in your relationship is reopen the fact, hey, we're not being intimate anymore. You may be having sex, but when was the last time you kissed your partner? When was the last time you gazed into their eyes? When was the last time you put your hand out while you're sitting there watching TV, shoving your mouth full of popcorn and held their hand? One of the most intimate things that happened recently, we were recording this, it's airing weeks later, but we're recording this in December. And we happened to have our kids home for the weekend because we celebrated Christmas really early this year because of just reasons we did. Kids were trying to avoid like shitty weather and like, what if we don't get to come again this year and all this stuff. So cool. We had a wonderful family weekend. One of the most intimate things that happened was we rented a van because there's six of us. So it's like, let's just rent a van. Let's not try to cram everybody in two cars. Plus we're going wine tasting. So dads probably need to be, and <laughs> dads probably need to be the drivers. Um, we got in the van. Of course, the first thing I feel hubby's driving and I'm like, Oh God, here we are. We are the, we are the van family now. Right. And he started up and he started driving down the road and he reached over and he just squeezed my hand. And I'm like, wow, this, this is, this is actually, this is uh, the kids were, you know, and our kids are grown kids. I mean, they're in their twenties, early thirties, but I'm like, this is what intimacy is all about. When you can still feel like you want to reach over and squeeze that hand. We're walking. We did a tour of Hearst Castle here on the Central Coast. We're kind of walking through there. And again, I reached out to him at one point in a crowd of people and rubbed his back. He reached out, grabbed my hand at some point. I'm like, this is what being intimate and, and showing somebody this. That could be your openness that you need to put back into your relationship. We're not talking about you have to go find somebody else. Right. But think about what's been closed off. That's gotten you so monogamous that you're just like, yeah, we just we're monogamous to living the way people say we just get old. We don't have intimacy that shows up so much in my world. I, I'm in a relationship and OK, granted, most of my clients are coming out of the closet. <laughs> they're coming out of the closet because they're gay, lesbian, whatever it is. I've been in a relationship and we haven't been intimate or had sex in five years, seven years, three years, a year. Open yourself to the possibilities of what being truthful is truly about. So I'm curious, Jolie, the hardest thing for somebody to do is to admit this. I think like, this is what I want. What prevents them from moving on forward? They admit it, they know it, but what, what prevents them other than the obvious, like they're scared to death. Well, when we, if we look past the obvious fear, there is an identity issue. Right. When I 
acknowledge that I won't fit into n- another damn box. Like it is, it's another uncloseting. It just is. is. So I'm by my, my husband is by, um, we're, and there's, okay. So there's, well, first off we're by, so we constantly come out of the closet, like all the time, like mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. And then there's non-monogamy. Oh, great. Now I have another thing that I need to help people understand about me constantly because in this culture, everybody has monogamous privilege, big air quotes there in case you can't see me. Uh, the, the monogamous privilege though, is a slap in the face. If you start acknowledging to yourself, this is me, I can express myself with multiple people. I want to connect with multiple people. And now, oh my God, I'm going to have to tell people about this. This is scary. And that's real. I don't want to downplay that at all. Discrimination around non-monogamy is real. Discrimination on a micro scale in our communities and just in our friend groups and on a macro scale. Like we do not, our our state and federal governments do not accept this. Um, I live in Massachusetts where there are a couple of towns who now have started putting protections in for people to live in multi-adult households. And that's like brain, like that's new, right? And this right. is not this is this is a, not a small issue because if you've already dealt with coming out, and mm-hmm. you feel like okay, we've gotten there, okay, my people accept me, my family has come to terms with it, or or they're out, like whichever. Like, do I really want to do that again? And I right. see that hanging people up all the time. Yep. Um, and for people who are not queer. They're facing their first coming out and I, welcome to the party, right? Like right. that, I, I deal with both of these issues and mm-hmm. they're both hard. But as you start to accept a, a new identity for yourself, and this is extra hard because sometimes this is coming right up from within you. For some of us, we experience our non-monogamous nature, right? Boom, from the inside out, just like an orientation. But yep. for others, this is a philosophical decision. We start getting familiar with the ideas of non-monogamy, the tenets of it. And we're like, okay, yeah, I that makes sense to me. I can make this make sense. So I adopt it. For some of us, we choose to engage in it because our partners have decided that this is what they need. And we're like, we can do that. Okay, I'm going to figure this mm-hmm. out. Now, imagine the identity shift and the pain and the struggle if you are like, I don't even really know that this is for me. Can I really deal with another identity shift that now I don't know whether I want to identify as non-monogamous, even mm-hmm. though I may be practicing non-monogamy with a partner? Yep. Ugh. But you know, it's so interesting. It's a lot. And <laughs> because I don't know if people realize we are coming out about this stuff all the time. And sometimes it isn't even about what you and I have been talking about. And the re- as soon as you start talking about it, it's still, it's always... This memory I have of being in Provincetown, right as all the gay marriage rights and everything was unfolding, and we, and eh, it was it was probably years later, but there was one of the first times we were there. We were there for Family Week, and Family Week's a big gay lesbian parent Family Week on Provincetown. I mean, it it yes, <laughs> the parents and kids take over. Okay, I remember one of my own community who wasn't with children. <laughs> Like, ugh, why do they have to be so hetero? Yeah. People who choose to have children in LGBTQ community, especially gay, lesbian, you know, or even those that are gender nonconforming, they have to come out about wanting to be a parent. Yeah. A bisexual has to come out about that truth. Because guess what? We're all coming out. There's people who have to come out about not wanting children. And right. now they're shamed by society. Right. 
you know, hello, that's why I think half the crap that's going down right now is, oh, well, those who don't want to have children, they're the demise of our society because guess what? We won't have any worker bees and don't even want to get into that whole discussion. But it's it's this shaming that comes because somebody doesn't fit the construct that, oh, this is what we're supposed to be. Right. Yet in reality, when people get to be who they are, unless you're hurting somebody else, I'm going to caveat that real quick. But in general, when people get to be who they are and they feel safe being who they are, the planet balances out, Yeah, in my opinion. And I think it's the same thing in this sexuality, this gender stuff. It was really hard when I finally came clean on a podcast about, hey, this is where I am. Did I get some hate mail? Of course I did. Did I get more hate mail than I got great email? Hell no. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you spoke your truth. I feel the same way. Not that I'm saying I was the Holy Grail, but it was like one of those things where just speaking that truth, again, released me to be, hey, the truth of who I am is far more powerful than the false truth I'm pretending to be. Rick was eating his own dog food in that moment. And I think this is what it's about. Is our relationships easy? I don't think Julie and I are either one going to say, oh yeah, it's a piece of cake. Oh, no. But what can make them easier is when you're willing to go to that space and say, here, I'm open hearted. Here's me. I want to invite you to be here with me. That to me is the magic. Makes sense. Okay. So let's talk about all the beautiful stuff you do. You've got your mm-hmm. podcast, you do some private work. Let's kind of, this is your moment. Shout it all out yeah. real quick because I want them to be able to connect with you because I can't help all these people. Oh, <laughs> I need some help. We, we, yes, let us band together. If you are wondering where you are on this wild ride of like, should I even consider being open? First things, head on over to joliequiz.com, J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com. Boom, take that quiz. It's 10 questions. It's based out of my academic research. That'll help you understand where you're at right now from, oh my God, hell no, I am not ready. And we need foundations all the way over to, yeah, you know what? We could consider this. Let's get going. Mm -hmm. So that's just to get you like, let's get you some grounding. Um, And then sure, check out my podcast, Playing With Fire. My husband and I co-host that. It's a real, um, it's an intellectual and very, very personal dive into what it's like. We've been non-monogamous for 15 years together and it's really, really interesting. And then if you're ready to take the leap, but you're like, what does it mean to do the work? Mm-hmm. The year of opening might be the place for you. Doing mm-hmm. this fast is not actually a good idea. No. Take your time. So you can go to the yearofopening.com and find out more about that. That's awesome. I'm so glad we connected in that. This is such a, to me, it's such a thing that's so discussed these days. And with each moment, each day, I don't want to go like, oh, it's a new year. This is something to thank you out. I want to invite you, if this is something that's been rolling around in your head, keeping you up sleepless at night, maybe, maybe you're like me, you were a serial cheater and nobody knew it. I want to invite you to think about what is that stress of hiding your truth putting on you? How is that actually impacting all the other stuff of your life. Because if you can separate it out and you can make it happen, you're going to be so much happier that you're living your truth in so many ways. So thank you, Jolie, so much for being here and being a part of my world and and speaking to both my audiences, 40 plus gay men, gay talk and the life and closet audience. 
Really appreciate you. I love you all. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.